Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Techspansive. I'm Sean Dubervac from Avrio Institute. And I'm Ross Rubin at Reticle Research. This week, we're going to start off talking about a theme that we've discussed frequently on the podcast, uh, which is what big tech is doing in terms of the regulatory and competitive scrutiny that is placed upon it. This week, we saw several moves regarding ways to circumvent some of the controls established in in these big tech platforms. Uh, For example, regarding Apple's App Store, we saw Fred Federighi, who is Apple's head of hardware, speak in Europe about proposed legislation that would require Apple to allow sideloading on the iPhone uh, side loading is the ability to take an app, say, from uh, to download it on a PC and then to move it over over a USB connection uh, onto the phone. And we've had side loading capability on Android for many, many years. And we've had side loading capabilities on the Mac uh, for many, many years. It's just a way to Another way to install software on devices that doesn't rely on the central app store the way that the iPhone does. And uh, Craig was sharing some of his not too favorable thoughts on the impact of this, uh, saying that it would uh, really open a portal for all kinds of malware and viruses. uh, And when challenged on how it would differ from what Apple has had in place on the Mac for many years, uh, drew some interesting distinctions, uh, talked about how the Mac was really not up to where Apple wanted it to be uh, in terms of security, Uh, talked about how we have seen uh, a number of malware attacks uh, on that platform. Uh, But I think most interestingly, Uh, talked about the difference in usage between the two platforms. He talked about the Mac like a car. You know, it's something that a more responsible adult should only use. Uh, And if you want to take it off-road and use it however you want, that's your business. Uh, The iPhone, as uh, as a contrast, is something that people need to rely on every day, regardless of their level of technical sophistication. Uh, and something that is exposed all day long to connectivity, uh, to other other devices that may be in close proximity. And so while uh, some portrayed it as, as kind of a, a knock on the Mac, uh, there was some validity to, to the comparison. Now, the question is, uh, how far do you take that comparison? Because... Uh, you know, as I said, we've had Android uh, allowing side loading and alternate app stores for many years, and uh, it's not as if it's uh, mayhem and chaos in the streets where everyday people's phones are exploding uh, and, um, and 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 their identities are uh, are are being stolen en masse. Uh, of course, it happens, uh, but you know, I'm sure it happens to iPhone users too. Uh, I accept that it would make Apple's job harder, uh, but uh, this is what they are relying on in terms of a defense against uh, more regulation of opening up the App Store and uh, and, and allowing sideloading. So, Sean, what do you, what do you think of these these claims? Do you think uh, 
uh, Apple has a, a good point here, uh, or do you think it's uh, a bit overblown? Well, I, I think like almost everything, it's there's always a, a little bit of um, what I'll call misperception on what consumers really want, what they really value, and, and how they're going to use the technology. So a- Apple has always had this view that uh, consumers want a seamless, easy-to-use environment, and we're going to deliver them something that's very clean. Maybe it doesn't have the full functionality and capabilities of some of these open environments, but we're, we're going to create a, you know, for lack of a better term, walled garden that's protected, and you'll have maybe a little less choice w- what happens in that environment, but uh, we believe that you know that the the protection and seamlessness and cleanly cleanliness you know that you receive in that environment is is valuable, and we actually are going to charge you for that because we think it's such a a, a good environment. And it, you know the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. I think there are a lot of users that do want that seamless environment and that seamless experience. They want companies like Apple to uh, to provide them the, you know, 80% of the experience, 95% of the experience, whatever, whatever you want to characterize it as. And they're willing to pay a premium to have a company really sort that out for them. Um, and I, I think you see, you know, lots of examples of this. Uh, one could argue that something like Netflix versus YouTube, right? It's a it's an organized paid sub- subscription model where everything is is kind of clean and easy to find and yeah, you don't have unlimited choice, but you've got a lot of what you want versus YouTube where you could probably find that movie somewhere somehow if you know what to look for and maybe it's not the best recording and you know, it's probably breaking some laws to even be up there, but that to me feels like some of the differences that you've got, you know, com- companies that f- have a perception on what consumers want. And, and the truth is there probably is in the middle. There are probably users who want to be able to fully customize that experience. Uh, I, I do think that, um, you know, increasingly, we've talked about this on the podcast before, that Messenger really is a... a defining characteristic of the Apple experience. As we see services open up across devices and across platforms, uh, Messenger really does become a a key differentiator between what it means to have an iPhone and what it means to be on a a different service. And I think uh, those are the type of areas that Apple will really go to great lengths to protect. It will be interesting to see if, you know, rules by different governments require them to to for example allow side loading if they'll enable that across their entire ecosystem and bring it to every country or if they'll only do it for that particular country i think this is a, a big question for a lot of companies uh, we we saw this week that google is letting android app developers use alternative billing systems in google play stores in south korea in order to comply with a new law, you know, and the question becomes, will they start to allow that elsewhere, even though it's not per se uh, required by that, by the local law? Uh, What 
ultimately ends up happening is these companies are going to have to to treat all of these markets differently, and so that that requires a lot of effort and energy to essentially operate uh, what looks like a separate company in that that uh, region. Yeah, a lot, a lot of great points, Sean. Uh, I really like the comparison between Netflix and, and YouTube. I think that's a good comparison. And when you talk about Apple's uh, messaging capability, uh, they certainly wouldn't be the first that was able to sustain a marketplace advantage, at least for some time, by relying on the exclusivity of their messaging experience. Uh, of course, we had uh, AOL Instant Messenger way back in, in the early days. Uh, and then we had uh, BlackBerry Messenger, which yeah, BBM. Uh, had, had a great run uh, for some time. Uh, was one of the few things keeping the, the company going. In, yeah, and in it did like open things. up at the end, right? At the it end, it, at it the became end. available at the end when when nobody was using it. Right, right. Well, it had it had uh, some staying power, I think, in Latin America. But uh, but in any case, uh, those are uh, those are some really good points. And in speaking about uh, other other ways that companies are looking to get around uh, certain provisions in in the app store uh, facebook as part of its big shift and pivot to the metaverse has been talking about how it wants to leverage this new frontier to allow creators to better monetize their talents in this economy uh, and so it has rolled out a system of links uh, that will allow creators to collect revenue without uh, having to go through the app store uh, and its defense uh, in, in terms of what it's telling Apple is, hey, we're not circumventing the app store. We're just allowing these people to circumvent the app store. So not the, uh, the first uh, instance of uh, people trying to uh, pass the enforcement buck uh, in, the, uh, in the past few weeks, but uh, but you know, one one way that uh, another potential crack is uh, is showing itself in the uh, in the walled garden. Uh, I also think you know when we talk about Android uh, versus iOS, and we talk about you know some of the you might say token uh, token allowances that Google has made in terms of allowing alternate app stores or allowing uh, side loading, is that Google Play has never really been the main revenue engine for Android, uh, the way the App Store uh, has been the primary revenue engine uh, for, for the iPhone uh, in terms of uh, a recurring annuity uh, revenue. Android was always uh, designed to focus on just uh, providing a, a platform that, uh, that Google could continue to leverage with its services uh, and, with its, uh, and, and with its ad uh, platforms. Uh, and you know, here we are 10 years later. Uh, originally, Google was you know, really concerned about Microsoft dominating the mobile space, and it, it didn't want to have to be boxed in by whatever Microsoft wanted. Uh, and here we are 10 years later, and they're facing, you know, very, very similar challenge, uh, or at least, you know, one that's playing out between uh, between Apple and Facebook more uh, 
uh, directly than it is between Apple and Google, but certainly a lot of the same uh, issues apply. What's interesting with this uh, and how this might play out, I thought Mark Zuckerberg characterized it well in, in a Facebook post where he said, as we build for the metaverse, we're focused on unlocking opportunities for creators to make money from their work and the 30% fees that Apple takes on transactions make it harder to do that. So we're updating our subscription products. Uh, they recognize, Facebook recognizes that creators are paramount as you try to build out this new environment and as you try to get people to go there, you know, who are influencing culture and influencing society, you want them playing in, in the metaverse. And in order to get them to play there, you need to make it so that they can monetize their time and the attention that they can garner. So you see them really trying to, to do that. And at the same time, you know, Facebook is not a small company. So uh, to go head to head against uh, Apple, if Apple wants to litigate this in some way, or, you know, if would Apple go as far as kicking Facebook out of the App Store. I mean, that that would be a, a significant move that probably wouldn't garner a lot of, of love from f the Apple users who want access to Facebook. It's clearly one of the most popular apps in the App Store on a, on a continuous basis. And so uh, this could be setting up, you know, a, a, a very big battle where Apple has to make some really hard decisions of how far do we uh, do we take this and where do we draw the line, and Facebook has to determine: Are we willing to go to uh, to court and litigate what could be a very expensive, uh, you know, battle all the way to the Supreme Court for our users and for the the future of the metaverse? So this this could be setting up a, a multi year. Uh, battle, you know, to, to take something all the way to the Supreme Court could usually be a 10-year process. And so uh be interesting to see if either of the companies have appetite for that. And uh, certainly with Epic Games and Fortnite, uh, Apple has shown a willingness to go there, if you will, uh, removing what was uh, not only a very popular app, uh, but an app that generated uh, a, a lot of revenue uh, for Apple, certainly for Epic Games. Uh, but for uh, but for Apple as well, uh, and it, you also raise uh, another good point, Sean, uh, which is that Apple can do things to squeeze Facebook on the ad revenue front. Uh, and indeed, uh, this week there was a report about how a number of the ad-focused media plays, like Snap and Twitter and YouTube and and Facebook, of course. Uh, have suffered or lost uh, billions of dollars uh, in uh, in ad revenue due to the changes that Apple is making. Uh, but if, uh, if if Apple turns the screws to the extent that Facebook can't effectively monetize the platform, then there's no real reason for them to be there. Uh, and of course, it's not just their app, uh, but it's also Instagram. Uh, of course, both of those have been uh, among the most popular uh, iOS apps uh, pr pretty much uh, for many, many years. Uh, so so it, it, there's a little bit of incentive for Apple to show some restraint. Uh, I'm sure what Facebook would do is uh, push people to the, the web versions of, of those apps and, 
invest in, in making those a bit better uh, if it ever came to that. The, uh, the other thing, just on your comment on, on Facebook uh, and being able to, uh, to send revenue to creators uh, is that Facebook has received a, a bit of criticism about that model as well, uh, because it would always have the option, as is the case on YouTube, uh, to do some ad sharing revenue uh, with the creators, which is, of course, uh, taking a piece of a you know much much exponentially larger pie. Uh, instead, you know what creators would be able to charge would probably be relatively uh, little little revenue uh, by by comparison. Uh, certainly, we've seen many instances on YouTube of uh, people having uh, successful channels and uh, being able to not only make that their full time job. Uh, but, uh, you know, be able to uh, put them in a position to be financially independent. So, uh, so we'll have to see what, how that all shakes out. But uh, there are certainly a lot of levers uh, that, that each side can, uh, can pull. And Facebook did announce that they will start paying creators a bonus somewhere between $5 and $20 for new subscribers they add. So that looks like ad sharing i mean anytime facebook starts paying uh users for anything it it is ultimately the result of ad revenue share so uh, they're they're not structuring it as direct ad revenue share but you know they are they are essentially subsidizing uh the users so i think there is a at least some motivation within facebook to pay users for users uh, Facebook, of course, not the only company that has been active in the metaverse uh, this week. Microsoft wasted little time in hopping on that train, uh, although arguably one that they have been talking about in other terms uh, for a number of years. At its Ignite event uh, this week, uh, they showed off a version of Mesh, uh, which is their virtual reality, augmented reality communications platform, uh, virtual spaces platform, and uh, talked about how they were going to integrate this into Teams, uh, which is their uh, Slack competitor and which they have been positioning for a number of years now as this central repository and hub from which all collaboration springs forth uh, among uh, different, different groups. So uh, they say they're going to uh, roll this out both to companies and and consumers, uh, and uh, and so you know it's I think just an example of Microsoft uh, playing in an area that has been heavily dominated by uh, an ad-driven uh, company. Uh, you know, last year or the year before, they had rolled out a new version of Microsoft Edge. Uh, which is uh, does as good a job of uh, rendering web pages as uh, Google Chrome does. Can even use Google Chrome extensions because it's based on the exact same uh, rendering technology of Chromium. Uh, and uh, the differentiation, and it's available broadly on just about every platform. The differentiation is that there are uh, more privacy uh, controls. And of course, Microsoft uh, isn't going to rely on that as heavily as, uh, as Google would. So that was the, the first announcement at, uh, 
at uh, at Ignite. Uh, the other one uh, was also uh, aimed at uh, Google somewhat. A new app called Microsoft Loop, uh, which has a number of different components, but basically is designed to bring far more fluidity uh, to collaboration in Microsoft Teams. So they would make it easy to embed components like lists and tables and comments and all kinds of uh, fun emoji. It's basically turning Teams into a a very extensible uh, platform to make uh, real-time collaboration even simpler and to add more context to it. Uh, it certainly has uh, some competition with uh, Google Docs, uh, in particular, so, uh, and Google Workspace, uh, in particular, some new functionality that Google had talked about earlier this year uh, called Smart Canvas, uh, which is designed to provide more of a collaboration backdrop uh, for uh, for uh, for for the productivity apps in Google Workspace, Docs, Sheets, etc. So it seems that uh, using the two main productivity options on the market, Workspace and Office, uh, it's going to become far easier to, to bring in these rich sets of components, uh, which is pretty cool because uh, it actually reminds me of some efforts uh, many years ago uh, to componentize software. Uh, that uh, never really came to fruition. We continue to have these monolithic applications, uh, but uh, but but you know, here's an opportunity. I think, in particular, for small developers to uh, get you know talk about exposing the creator economy, uh, having small independent developers being able to provide tools uh, that are adopted because they're enhancing the functionality of some of the most uh, widely used. Uh, applications uh, in in the world. And it definitely facilitates a a move towards a hybrid environment. And Microsoft really touted the, uh, you know, the the desire to build out this hybrid environment. Uh, They've been one of uh, several companies to be very vocal on, on their desire to see the workforce stay virtual, stay remote, and and they obviously have a lot of tools that facilitate a remote workforce. And, uh, you know, at the same time, they recognize that we will probably exist in this hybrid environment in work, both uh, working in person, but also working remote, and increasingly hybrid in terms of uh, what I'll call 2D versus 3D. And uh, so so hybrid has a little bit of a, a dual meeting here, probably for Microsoft over the, the long period of, of time. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see more. I, I think it's, it's interesting to see Microsoft move quickly I- into this. I mean, they were, you know, arguably already in some of these spaces, but uh, th- they recognize that if the metaverse does gain traction, they want to be the, the company that is providing productivity tools to that environment. They want to be active in that environment. And so they have, uh, I think, pivoted quite quickly to uh, make sure that they can be a major player there. They also want to, of course, host those environments on Azure. Uh, And a good point about the corporate adoption. Uh, There was a story a couple of weeks ago about how Accenture, which is actually a very 
close uh, partner of uh, Microsoft uh, had purchased 60,000 Oculus Quest 2 headsets uh, for onboarding and training purposes. Now, these were no doubt the commercial version of the Oculus 2, which costs about twice as much and doesn't require a Facebook login, uh, so, uh, so it's a little more palatable. Uh, but that is uh, an incredibly large uh, purchase. That's quite an investment. Uh, and so it's, it's those kinds of moves, I think, that uh, gives uh, Microsoft pause and say, you know, just, just like Facebook is trying to maneuver around Google and, and Apple in the mobile market uh, and get around their App Store requirements, they, in theory, you know, have the ability to build anything uh, in the metaverse. And, uh, and Microsoft uh, has been investing there over the years and uh, took advantage of the opportunity to uh, remind folks that uh, they not only have this technology, but they can uh, integrate it uh, with uh, popular workgroup uh, applications. Earlier this, uh, in the podcast, we mentioned uh, Epic Games uh, and, and Fortnite uh, and how it left the Apple App Store. Uh, this uh, week, we received uh, news about another large market that uh, Epic Games is leaving with Fortnite, and that is uh, China. Uh, one of several companies announcing, uh, several American uh, companies uh, or divisions of companies announcing that they will be uh, leaving China, uh, citing uh, increased difficulty in uh, meeting various regulatory requirements uh, and, uh, and compliance requirements. Uh, the other one was uh, LinkedIn, uh, also, of course, a, a division of Microsoft. Uh, and uh, the third one was uh, Yahoo, uh, which, uh, which owns uh, a number of, uh, of media properties. Uh, and so in the case of Epic Games, they had been uh, partnering. They had had a joint venture, uh, certainly not uncommon when uh, American companies uh, launch initiatives in China uh, with the uh, giant uh, Chinese game company Tencent. Uh, and uh, after trialing this for a while and even making some modifications to the game uh, to make it more palatable to regulators there, uh, they, they are leaving. You know, we, we've seen this, uh, the, the, uh, we've seen the, the rhetoric uh, of, of the uh, Chinese government around uh, a number of different perceived social ills, uh, including, you know, two, two great of a, uh, of a capitalist uh, success uh, in, in the past, uh, over, over the past several months. Uh, we saw something uh, last week where uh, I believe Alibaba's uh, market value has uh, been cut in half in the uh, past few months due to investors fleeing in response to these, uh, you know, these, these new, this new regulatory requirement. Uh, Sean, what do you think, how do you think this bodes for uh, these these kinds of businesses in China. You know, I think it's a really interesting move from these companies to say the the difficulties of operating in China are no longer worth the potential gains from a massive market. What is a massive market? And we saw last week Apple's um, saw you know tremendous revenue growth from from China. So you've got companies like Apple 
that at least selling hardware into that market is a very important market and probably won't pull out of those markets anytime soon unless the uh, regulations and restrictions were to become severe. You've seen, you know, in the past, Google, uh, while they don't operate in China like they do, uh, like they once did, were, were willing to make concessions about how maps were were uh, presented and where country borders fell and, you know, different things like that. And, and, and Apple seems to be willing to, to do that to, in order to maintain that market. But you're seeing a number of companies, as you noted just this week, that uh, are willing to pull out because they don't see the uh, the benefits and, and gains outweighing the, the costs. And um, I think it will be interesting to see if China continues to uh, restrict both their domestic companies from, from growing as well as international companies from coming in and, and playing in the market. At the at the same time, I feel like a lot of the stories we've talked about this week, whether it's Google allowing for alternative payment methods in South Korea, or it's Apple competing against uh, you know sideloading in Europe, or or uh, all all the companies that are pulling out of China, we do continue to see this bifurcation of the internet experience across the globe, and I wonder if companies are really going to have to start to to treat these all as very distinct and separate uh, markets that have their own, not only just tastes and preferences, but regulatory environments that ultimately create what looks like a very different product and, uh, and, and how they might structure their organization in order to be able to deliver those services. So I think there's a lot of uh, really big questions confronting businesses and corporations in the coming years. And also a big question about what does the future of the internet look like? It is no longer a single network that that connects everybody on the globe, which was for a very long time the view of the internet it is is now increasingly being bifurcated into uh, unique internets that operate around country borders. Yeah, there was a, a lot of discussion around that in the context of the Belt and Road Initiative as uh, China would go into countries and uh, provide development funds uh, to build out infrastructure. They would be using uh, equipment from Chinese vendors and uh, would be more inclined to adopt the kinds of uh, regulations around uh, content that that we see in China. Uh, But again, a good point, Sean, because it's not just China, right? We've also seen a lot of uh, these kinds of activities in in Russia, uh, a lot of um, discussion and regulations around where data needs to be hosted uh, as they as it pertains to particular uh, countries. And uh, I think the reason, one reason that Apple has been able to uh, escape at least this round of uh, companies leaving the market. Uh, has been that a lot of these regulations that have come up recently uh, and which companies are finding uh, it so difficult to comply with are uh, very strict consumer privacy laws that are modeled after the European uh, privacy laws, but but are even stricter. Uh, and uh, Apple, of course, has uh, you know taken its its business model approach 
of emphasizing privacy and security. Uh, we'll have to see, you know, where that goes in terms of potential conflict uh, of, um, of, of where Apple has to store data, uh, of what information it may have to share uh, with uh, government authorities, um, because of course, you know, it is bound by the laws of, uh, of the country, countries that, that it operates in. Well, uh, I think that's going to wrap it up uh, for this edition of Techspansive. I'm, uh, I'm Ross Rubin. You can find me on Twitter at Ross Rubin. And I'm Sean Duberbeck. You can find me on Twitter at Sean Duberbeck. Thanks for listening.